Hi, everyone. Welcome to Being Patient Brain Talks. I'm Deborah Khan, founder of Being Patient. Well, today we're going to talk about epigenetics and how it relates to Alzheimer's. Um, epigenetics is the combination of how uh, the environment impacts our genetics and how it re relates to neurodegeneration. Well, joining me now is a scientist uh, who studies exactly that. Uh, Dr. Uh, Rafael um, Nativio joins us from Imperial College in London. Um, Rafaela. Thank you so much um, you. for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Deborah. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be to be here. There. <laughs> so I read so much these days about epigenetics, epigenetics, but I have to be honest with you. Um, although I understand it in principle, I don't really understand it. So let's just start by: um, Can you tell us what what exactly? How does the environment influence our genes? What is the study of epigenetics? Yeah, so I can try to give um, simple technical explanation and then with an example so hopefully it will be easier to understand but yeah the word epigenetics means on top of genetics and um, but very simply stated epigenetics is a change in phenotype without a change in genotype so what does this mean so for example all the cells in our body they have exactly the same genes the same number of genes with the same genetic sequence but why do the cells in our body look different why do the skin the cells from the skin why do they look different from the cells in the bone from the cells in the lungs from the cells in the eyes why do the eyes look like eyes why do the bones look like bones why does the skin look like skin if we have exactly this, the same genetic code so this is dependent on um, on the structure of the genes so depending on how the genes are folded uh, the genes can be turned either on or they can be off and in different cell types we have different sets of genes that are turned on or turned off and the environment can actually influence how through epigenetics how these genes are turned on how they're turned off and that's why the skin cells look like skin cells and the bone cells look like bone bone cells so i was going to ask you as a good example of this on a very basic level maybe how the sun impacts our skin um you know and and obviously our genetics um as well well, actually, the, the, the sun can induce genetic mutations, which is different from epigenetics. So the gen genetic mutations are changes in the sequence of the, of the gene, but not changes in the structure of the gene. So, so the sun can induce the changes in the sequence, and actually those can drive cancers. But epigenetics, it's, it's how the genes are shaped, um, how they're folded. And actually, it's a diet exercise that can influence how the genes are folded and how they turn genes on in, in, in our cells. So when we talk about neurodegeneration and epigenetics, um, I'm assuming we're looking, studying this as maybe um, how we can prevent Alzheimer's. Um, is, is that right? Through, through epigenetics? Yes, yeah, so the question is why studying epigenetics in the context of uh, neurodegeneration? What's the connection between epigenetics and neurode neurodegeneration? So if I can step back just a second, I can tell you actually about the involvement of epigenetics in aging. So we know that there are two forms of Alzheimer's disease. 
One is uh, the familiar form of Alzheimer's, uh, where uh, mutations in genes, which we inherited from uh, our parents, uh, they drive the disease. But the early onset of Alzheimer's disease is actually um, it's quite rare. And then there is a second form of Alzheimer's disease, which is called late-onset Alzheimer's disease. And this type of Alzheimer's comes with aging. And actually, aging is the top risk factor for this type of Alzheimer's, which is the most common form that comes with aging. So studies in the lab where I come from, so the laboratory of Shelley Berger, which is my former um, supervisor, actually they identified that epigenetics plays a role in aging in model organisms. For example, by, by inducing epigenetic modifications, you can delay animals from aging, you can delay animals, you can actually extend the life and you can actually improve the lifespan or make it worse, depending in which direction you induce the epigenetic changes. So, so basically, based on our studies of aging in model organisms and how the environment influences uh, uh, affects epigenetics, so then we came up with the hypothesis that epigenetics might be involved in Alzheimer's because of the connection with aging. Okay, wait, I just want to back up there because that's interesting to all yeah. of us who are aging. Um, yeah, yeah. What, what does it mean, though, when you... When you I mean, you said epigenetics could, um, in animal models, possibly um, delay aging. So what are you doing to the genes to make them actually stay younger? Well, uh, basically, we. Um, so when I was telling you about the structure of the genes, how the genes are folded, then there are uh, um, there are factors that induce these changes. And those are what I call epigenetic factors. So studies in, uh, for example, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, fruit fly uh, show that if we increase the expression of one of these epigenetic factors, uh, actually that uh, can uh, delay aging uh, in a fly. And there are many epigenetic factors. Uh, some improve aging, uh, some uh, they make aging worse. And so that's why studying in model organisms uh, can actually um, create the foundations to then study, um, to study human which is what we are actually interested in the end. So what does it mean when it's applied to neurodegeneration? Do you, do, can we, I mean, is, is the hypothesis that we can actually stop neurodegeneration um, through epigenetics? Well, so basically we performed a study using a post-mortem brain tissue from patients that they very kindly donated their brains for research. So we performed a study where we looked at epigenetics directly into this brain tissue, so in, into the brain tissue of patients with Alzheimer's, and we compared it to post-mortem brain tissue of patients that did not have Alzheimer's of similar age. And in addition to that, we also performed the comparison with uh, uh, post-mortem brain tissue from healthy younger donors. So we wanted to look at epigenetics of what we call healthy aging versus what we call disease aging, which is uh, neurodegeneration. So by directly looking um, at, uh, um, at epigenetics in the brain of post-mortem brain, in, in, into post-mortem brain tissue, we actually um, we made a few interesting observations. So we found that there was uh, there is an epigenetic factor that uh, is increased uh, with aging, 
with healthy aging, and it's actually down in Alzheimer's disease. And at the same time, we found a different epigenetic factor, because as I was telling you before, there are different types of epigenetic factors. We found another epigenetic factor that it's actually, it's not changing with healthy aging, but it's it's the increase in Alzheimer's. So this tell us two things. That one, actually Alzheimer's, it's not acceleration of aging, of healthy aging, so it's something different. It's, it's a real disease. And on the other end, so epigenetics is changing in the brain of, of in, in the brain affected with Alzheimer's. And it's different from healthy aging. And different epigenetic factors, they either promote neurodegeneration or delay neurodegeneration. So, um, um, this is it. We're getting a question in that's, that's actually really interesting. Um, um, someone is asking, you know, can a brain, um, be, um, uh, this, this woman's asking, can brain damage from a stroke ever be repaired? Um, so, um, can brain damage from a stroke ever be uh, repaired? I think there are studies. So I think the problem with the, with the stroke, so you don't get enough blood to the brain. And if you don't get enough blood, you don't get enough oxygen. If you don't get enough oxygen, the neurons, which are the cells that um, basically mediate, uh, create our memories, they're very, very sensitive to oxygen level. So if they don't get enough oxygen, they might, they actually, they will die. And that's why we, we lose uh, memory and uh, the ability of uh, all, all, the, all the movements connected with, uh, uh, with brain function. So can that be repaired i guess if we could regenerate neurons then then i think so so i have a question what are the what are the um biggest environmental factors external factors that influence our genes when it comes to neurodegenerative diseases like alzheimer's well, so that has not been formally tested, but we know what from the environment influences epigenetics. And we know that epigenetics is changing in the brain of Alzheimer's. So we need to identify what are the triggers of the epigenetic change in Alzheimer's. I mean, is, but we, isn't there research around things like air pollution and metals? Well, we do know. We do know that uh, uh, that diet, exercise, they play a role in uh, in epigenetics. But that uh, if uh, if a change in exercise and diet causes Alzheimer's, that has not been formally tested. But because we see epigenetic changes in Alzheimer's, and because the epigenetic changes are driven by environmental factors, then it's very possible that changes in diet, in air pollution, in exercise can influence Alzheimer's through modulation of epigenetics. So how are you how are you approaching your research? I mean, there's a there's a lot of different factors um, uh, uh, about how environment impacts our genes. So where do you start in all of this when it's applied to neurodegeneration? Well, uh, the simplest way to start is uh, to uh, formally test this hypothesis in vitro with cell cultural models. So what uh, we could do, we could, uh, we could stress cells with different type of, uh, um, of environmental factors like chemicals, pollutants, um, also changes in the diet, because it's not just us eating, but also the cells in order to be alive, they need to, to get uh, nutrition. So we could test 
could, could start by testing that in, uh, in a petri dish, uh, basically by, um, by treating cells with different environmental factors, then to look at the epigenetic changes, and then to compare those uh, to the one that we identified in the human brain, uh, and to see which one corresponds to, to which one. So because it's not possible to, you know, like the 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 the, um, uh, the studies we performed are in this very valuable uh, postmortem brain tissue, but of course we cannot do in uh, in vivo studies uh, with humans. So we need to go back uh, to either model animal models or to models of cell cultures. So you start with the cell culture model, which is the simplest, and then if you get uh, interesting findings, uh, then maybe you take a mouse model where you actually can um, perform a similar studies. So I want to talk specifically about exercise because there is a lot of research around exercise as it applies to the brain. I mean, we know if we do 30, 35 minutes of aerobic exercise um, a day, we're actually adding um, brain matter to our hippocampus, right? I mean, that's there's been published studies on this um, that, you know, exercise is directly correlated with our brain health. Um, when, when you're looking at epigenetics, how do you approach the study of exercise as it relates um, to our brains? Well, that could be could be done very easily in um, in um, of course in animal models like in mice. So we could um, make the mice do a bit of exercise and run around and um, and then take the brain and study the epigenetic changes in in the mouse brain and compare them with mice that did not do um, any exercise. So, and, and someone is asking, um, can we tell the difference maybe about different types of exercise and, and how it relates to our, I, I know, I mean, we've interviewed an NYU researcher, Dr. Wendy Suzuki about, and she's looking at how different types of exercise impacts different parts of our brains. Um, can we unlock any of those clues through epigenetics or? Yes, um, yes. Um, so we could collaborate with the doctor, um, but we don't know any of these answers yet. I mean, this is a this is a relatively new field, is it not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Epigenetics is a very, very new field, huh? and it actually gives hopes so for finding uh, actually um, uh, answers to uh, to diseases that we don't know yet uh, much, uh, like neurodegeneration. So, what has made scientists? feel that this is a very valid um, area to study. What, what, what's the turning point here? Yeah, so the turning point is, uh, um, so as I told you before, so the latent set Alzheimer is not driven by genetic mutations. Um, so that is, uh, that is one factor. So what else could it be? And we know that uh, Alzheimer's, uh, I mean, the top risk factor for Alzheimer's is aging and anything that comes with aging. Uh, so basically the interaction of our body with environment. Uh, and because we know that epigenetics interact with environment, then epigenetics could be the, the answer to, um, to, um, to actually finding the connection between the environment, aging, and the neurodegeneration. And on the other end, um, um, majority of uh, studies that uh, have been um, actually trying to find uh, um, a therapy, a treatment for Alzheimer's, they all targeted uh, like plaques and tangles, which are prote uh, protein aggregates, and those are the, um, the hallmarks of, of Alzheimer's. But that might not be the only pathways, because so far these drugs have not been, um, I mean, have not proven to be 
to be to be very effective. So on the other end, the addition of the studies of other pathways, like the addition of the study of the epigenetic pathways, may actually offer new avenues for uh, for designing new treatments. And on. I was just going to ask, do, do we know anything about um, diet actually specifically when, when we're looking at epigenetics? Are, are we, you know, any insights to share there? Yeah, for example, when we drink alcohol, um, that, yeah, many people like drinking alcohol. So, um, so when we drink alcohol, so the alcohol goes to the liver and it gets uh, broken down in uh, different chemicals, uh, one of which is uh, called acetate. So the acetate travels through the bloodstream, it gets to the brain, and then in the brain it gets transformed, transformed into a into an epigenetic marker, which is called acetylation. So the acetylation gets added on top of the genes and it modulates them to be turned on or to be turned off. So this is an example of how diet impacts epigenetics and epigenetics impacts gene expression changes. And that, I think what you just described is what a lot of scientists refer to as alcohol dementia, is it not? Like, is that, does that set you on the road for alcohol dementia? Because there's such a classification in dementia, in neurodegeneration, um, a dementia caused by excessive drinking. Um, that's possible. So the, I guess the poison is in the quantity. Yeah. <laughs> a, bit, a bit of drinking, uh, sometimes it actually um, helps uh, to clear our minds, but too much, uh, too much is bad. Too much so is our, bad. our one or two glasses of wine is still okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's toxic to the brain, it's toxic to many other tissues and organs in our body. Yeah, um, we're, we're getting another question in. Um, uh, a gentleman is asking, does epigenetics explain why some drugs work on some groups and not others? Um, uh, example, Excelon um, only works on 50% of people who take it. Um, so I think in that case, it, it, genetics are definitely, definitely plays a role in uh, why some drugs that works on some people and not. Um, whether epigenetics plays a, plays a role, it, it's possible, it's possible too, because in the same way as we see epigenetic changes uh, um, associated with Alzheimer's or associated with aging, could also be that specific epigenetic changes in specific patients might uh, be involved in, a in the drug response. But so far it has been shown that actually the genetics uh, that makes up uh, um, yeah, that specific genetic uh, changes actually might uh, play a role in drug response. So in the long term, what do we hope to find out about epigenetics and how will that change the course of Alzheimer's? Yeah, so in the studies that I was telling you about uh, before, we found that um, so the epigenetics of Alzheimer's brains is different from the epigenetics of healthy aging. So, and at the same time, uh, studies in mouse models of Alzheimer's, uh, they show that uh, treatment of uh, mice with Alzheimer's uh, with drugs that uh, change epigenetics, uh, they can ameliorate uh, memory in the mouse models of Alzheimer's. Now, these drugs, uh, they're not very specific. Uh, and uh, my study actually shows that some epigenetics uh, 
marx they promote alzheimer's while others are, prote are protective so an avenue for defining a treatment could be to define drugs that target specific epigenetic factors so to inhibit those that promote alzheimer's and to actually improve or promote to have more of those that actually um, uh, stop alzheimer's and I, but I take it we need to learn a lot more before we get to that day. Are we? Yeah, yeah, we are just starting to learn about epigenetics of uh, of uh, neurodegeneration, of aging. Um, I mean, it's great that um, you know there is a donation of uh, postmortem brain tissue. So with more donation, then we can learn more. Because, for example, mice they don't develop Alzheimer's. So if we wanted, we can use mouse models of Alzheimer's to look at uh, changes that after we induce Alzheimer's in the mice, because there are ways to induce Alzheimer's in the mice. But if we really want to understand what are the changes upstream, uh, what are the real changes that uh, actually promote uh, cause Alzheimer's, then we need to do this by studying a postmortem, a human postmortem brain tissue. But and don't you have to know what the genetics were like prior to, to I mean, at, at a postmortem state, you're already, you know, well into neurodegeneration. So how do you differentiate what was perhaps influenced by epigenetics versus just genetics? Well, we can, uh, so the, um, so the comparison, yeah, it is postmortem, so it, it is and point, but you can perform comparisons with healthy younger brains and with healthy older brains. So by performing all the type of comparison, you can actually infer what the initial changes are. But if you just look at mouse, you will never find anything. Right. Okay. Well, um, uh, Raffaella, thank you. Thank you so much you. Um, for it's a really interesting conversation and um, an area we do want to stay abreast of as, you know, we all know um, there's, there's a lot that influences the health of our brains. Um, and so the, the more science delves into that, uh, the more beneficial it is for us uh, to understand really how we keep our brains healthy and therefore um, prevent neurodegeneration. So, thank you. And as a you know, as a, I have a mom with Alzheimer's, and so I'm 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 focus a lot on brain health and how to keep my brain healthy. Um, so please keep us abreast of your research. We wish you all the luck. I know you're, yeah, thank you, thank you, you just much. started at Imperial College. So um, good luck with your research and please come back when you discover new insights. We'd love to be uh, yeah. kept in the loop. Thank you very much. Yeah, wishing you all the best. Bye. Yeah. So if you want to know more um, or you missed part of these interviews, we always upload them to beingpatient.com. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletters. Uh, we'll keep you abreast of what upcoming talks. Um, we believe that um, our community should have direct access to some of the world's best scientists. So we invite them uh, to share with you uh, some insights um, and for you to ask questions. So thanks very much for joining us today. And I look forward to seeing you next time.